Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John McMahon and I'm here with my friend and colleague, the big man, John Kaplan. Cap, what's happening this morning? How you doing, buddy? Great to see you. Excited for our guest today. Yeah, you all right? I'm doing good, buddy. Doing good. Hey, Cap, our guest spent almost 20 years at Hitachi Data Systems, where he gained an enormous amount of worldwide sales experiences as country manager for Australia, New Zealand, VP of Western Canada. Then he moved to be the general manager of the Asia Pacific region. And then he earned his way to the executive VP of worldwide sales. And after Hitachi, Michael is the SVP of the Americas for Veritas. Then he moved to be the chief revenue officer at Cohesity. And he's currently the chief sales officer at Elastic. Cap, please welcome a person that has vast worldwide experiences to share, Michael Kremen. Michael, it's great to uh, it's great to officially meet you. Thanks for being on. Really looking forward to speaking with you today. Hey guys, it's um it's great to be here. Thank you. I I heard John going through, then I was like, wow, who is this person? Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's you, buddy. It's you. I love it. I love it. Now, thanks so much. Looking forward to the conversation. Hey Cap, I wanted to bring Michael on today as a guest, not only for as many experiences he can share, you know, with the audience, because. But he also has a strong focus on what he calls the CFO factor. But but Michael, before we jump into the CFO factor, you've been doing a ton of traveling lately as we tried to track you down. Talk to us about why your tra- travel schedule is so hectic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of a pent-up demand after COVID, right? And when I say after, I know it's it's still going on, but it's certainly different than it was. In most parts of the world, not all, it's still very heavy in some parts of the world. And, you know, over the last actually 10, 12 weeks, not only me, but also um, our CEO at Elastic, Ash Kilcarney, we've both kind of split the world up and been traveling all over, meeting our teams, meeting customers, meeting partners, doing, uh, you know, press uh, sessions, really just trying to stay really close to the markets, to the customer, to our teams and, and understand what's going out there, especially right now with so much uncertainty, you know, around the world. So, uh, yeah, it was 11 weeks straight. Now I went home a few times, but, um, uh, and my wife recognized me when I came home, by the way, Uh, (laughs) that's important. Yeah, exactly. But the, the last, the last lug of that trip was in Europe. I was in Europe a little over two weeks, almost two and a half weeks. And, you know, in a lot of parts of the world, you got to watch because they're losing luggage, right? These airports are overtaxed right now in terms of having uh, workers that can handle your luggage. So it's, hey, you can't check, right? You have to carry on. So I was going to Stockholm, Amsterdam, London, Paris, Munich, Frankfurt, and then back to the New York area. And somehow, and my wife helped me, I got enough clothes um, and that was during, that was over weekends and stuff. So, you know, jeans and stuff, in addition to some business attire into this very, very small carry on. So every time I would go somewhere and get to the room and I'd open it, it just kind of bursted. Right. <laughs> but here's, what's crazy. So I just, after that 11 weeks, I can't wait. I'm flying from Frankfurt back into New York, getting ready to jump in the car, head home. I'm like, I just want to be in my own bed in my own house And I get a text from my wife and says, hey, can you talk? Now, she usually just calls me instead of texting me. So I knew it wasn't good. And she she says to me, hey, um, don't come home. I have covid. And I said, oh, okay. let me let me go to my parents. They live nearby. She's like, oh, no, no, they have covid, too. And I said, all right, I have two brothers who live near me. And I said, "Um, 
let me go to my let me go to my brothers. And she goes, they all have COVID. Their families. I go, were you all at a party or something? She said, <laughs> Unreal. She said, no. So then I'm trying to get a hotel in my hometown and, and where I live. Um, the, it's a big wedding weekend because it's it's autumn and it's nice. And I couldn't get a hotel. So I stayed like 10 towns away in a hotel. And I'm sitting there going, I'm really back in a hotel <laughs> with the same clothes. <laughs> so it's been wild, but a fantastic, everyone's fine, by the way, and a fantastic road trip for sure. I yeah. thought you were going to tell me you had to go back to Frankfurt to, to stay. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah. They've been losing a lot of luggage. Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam was have, has been having a hard time. They've been the hardest hit, I think. Absolutely yeah. right. That's a tough one. Hey, Michael, in these uncertain economic times, as you pointed out, salespeople need to get what I call above the noise mm-hmm. and prove, you know, quantifiable value to drive, you know, a real a purchase decision, since a lot of the purchases are, you know, heavily scrutinized. Talk to us about what you call the CFO factor these days. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. And I'm talking about, so thanks for the question. I'm talking about <clears throat> CFOs at clients or customers, at partners, and even your own CFO in um in your company. So CFOs across the board. And to your point, look, there's um there's uncertainty right now around all markets, trying to understand where this all goes. Does a recession happen or not? Has it already happened? What's going? The level of scrutiny is intense. And what I'm making sure that our teams are very focused on is you need to be realistic. The CFO is going to be part of that decision and that sign off. And for years, companies and sales forces right, have operated that they know that level. They know the level of approval they have to go to. That's changed. Um, it, it really has. And it's just the times that we're in right now. And I, I've, I've heard of companies. We're, we're certainly looking at things in our company where all of a sudden that deal, and, and maybe that deal's not near the threshold that used to be where that CFO is involved and he or she should be. And what happens when that CFO is involved is all of a sudden, um, hey, do we have to do this? Uh, could we do something smaller? Mm-hmm. Could we do something later? Could we get a better discount? Mm-hmm. Could we look at something maybe on-prem versus cloud? Or could all those options? Oh, and by the way, I want better payment terms. And they're doing their jobs. And teams, and I'm talking just teams out there beyond our company, or just teams can be surprised by that. They need to be ready for that. And the biggest thing to me is. If you're, I call it connecting value. If you're connecting value throughout your campaign, you're fine. You need to still understand there can be a protracted process and there could even be a, hey, let's go to RFP. Let's you know have a, 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 an extended scrutiny from a process standpoint. But if you've done everything from day one that is truly identifying a pain or a problem or an opportunity for that customer, and you've connected all the way through the enterprise, all the way up, the value you're bringing and you're proving it, you're fine. It's when you don't do those fundamental things across the board in some place, that's when you're gonna run into trouble. And it's really key for account teams and their leadership all the way through to know that CFO factor, if you will. Now I'll take it further. Then when you're looking at your partners, who you go to market with, even their CFOs, you know, a lot of partners, their focus is obviously customer success and competitiveness, but margins really important for them. And so those CFOs looking at the type of vendors and OEMs they have and the type of business they're doing is important too. And your ecosystem people, all those other people have to really be aware of that and play with that. And then it's also your CFO. We have a tremendous CFO at Elastic and he and I talk every day. And part of it is understanding, too, the initiatives I want to drive and how we're revving up or down or across our go-to-market and what markets we're going after in particular and how we're doing it, where we're hunting how. And those things are important for he and I to both be aligned on because he's also running a business, right? And all these factors are important to him. And we have vendors coming and selling to our company. Those same factors are there. So 
that's that's my perspective on it. Um, I don't want to say it's changed dramatically, but it's always been really important. But what I preach is connect the value all the way through. Yeah. So talk a little. There's two things that are in your connect the value. First is I could connect the value perfectly. And I'd like you to go a little bit deeper into, you know, what you're telling your salespeople as far as, you know, connecting to the value. And then even if I'm prepared and I do all that correctly, what you pointed out is I may have to be able to be um, leave a little bit more leeway in my forecasting because the CFO may step in and ask for, like you said, different terms. Can we wait till next quarter? Is there another alternative? Those types of things. So one, how do I connect through the value and how do I get ahead of those other issues that might come up later in the process? How do I proactively do that early on? Great, great questions and really important topics, quite frankly. You know, uh, the first piece of it is, and and I'll say something really basic. Uh, there's so many companies that have great technology. We think we have the best technology on the planet. But customers aren't buying the technology. They're buying what the technology is truly going to do for them. Yes. And people lose sight of that sometimes. They get so revved up in the things that um, spin and search. And those are really important because the outcomes they drive are key. So it's understanding that basic fundamental, John and John. And then it's... Um, really understanding your customer and the dynamics of today and tomorrow with that customer, because it's a moving target and knowing those trends and where that customer is going and the topics and the areas they're trying to focus are really important. And then it's attaching to them with those movements inside your customer, proving things out. If it's a proof of value you're doing, um, if it's addressing two or three big areas where they're going to save money or they're going to, I always say to our teams, companies only really care about three things at the highest level, making money, saving money, and mitigating risk. Yes. And at some point you have to rise up to that. And what are you doing there? That's the value that you're getting to for those customers. And then I say connecting because it's, you're connecting with the technology to the actual problem or opportunity creating, to the champions that you built inside your customer, and then being able to drive that across the organization and up into the organization again. So when that CFO who maybe hasn't been involved in deals of your size or scope or relevance or what have you, rocks up, he or she is like, I got it. And they're not hearing it from you. They're hearing it from their team all the way through way early. So that's, to me, that connecting value. Your second, I'll pause there if there's no, more. No, no, let's stay on just where you were. That's fine. You could pause there. So what you're, what I'm really hearing is what you need to do is, you know, let's say your champion is measured one way. I've always had that advise people understand how the person you're selling to is measured. 100%. I want to be able to take your product and that and the pain you solve and the value and put it in those terms. And now what you're also speaking to is as I climb the ladder, my language needs to change and the the way in which my product affects measurable outcomes at these different levels needs to change. So the way I talk to the CFO might be a little bit different and the measures of my product might be different or value might be different than the way I speak to my champion. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to have those teams focus on. Look, the best teams get it and do it. And we have a lot of them. And it's so much fun watching that happen. Uh, you know, there was a situation where a team called me and said, hey, you know what? We just found out extra layer of scrutiny. CFO is going to get involved. And it's, you know, the last day of the quarter. <laughs> not not an, not an issue. He's already aware of it. And to your point, this whole solution, including the commercials, is inside what he's trying to accomplish. It's what he wants. I mean, the reality is we found he was actually pushing his team. Hey, get this to me. We need to get this done. You know, we start saving or expanding or whatever this one was the next day. That's so key for us. And it's it's fun to watch. Now, your second question, by the way, yeah, sure. how do we like answering around <laughs> how you're proactive and how you leave space and time? 
it's about pipeline, right? It's about building enough qualified pipeline that you're able to then manage through adversity or delays or any other aspect of this where things have to be tweaked, or maybe it is a, a contracted, a contraction inside your original deal. But if you have enough pipeline, you're still able to serve and support and create success for your customer within their parameters, but still have the ability to deliver to your commit because that is hugely important, you know, uh, these yeah, days. And getting your salespeople to understand that this is something that can happen. So if you have a really good champion, asking them, you know, how is your CFO going to respond? You know, are they going to ask for different terms? Are they going to ask for an alternative? What's our answer when we get hit by these questions, right? And Absolutely. some of them may come up and some of them may not. But having the salesperson prepare their champion, I think, helps a lot, right? It absolutely does. It does. And having a champion strong enough to be able to carry that forward and also have the answers that that sales team needs is vitally key, too. And having multiple. Uh, I know we've talked in the past, and I always think about make sure that your champion is better than the bad guy's champion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Along those lines, and then I know John wants to ask you a question, is um, these days, so a lot of times we think of salespeople that we're competing against our competition, you know, our head-to-head -head competitors. Yeah. And these days, in uncertain times, I think it's important for every salesperson to understand you're competing against all the other things that that CFO could buy. So now... How does your cost justification stand up against all those other things that the CFO could buy, right? Absolutely. It's so true. The situation I described a few minutes ago about, oh, CFO has to get involved. There were 34 other deals happening on that last day of the quarter that they were working to get done. Bingo. And my person says, Kremen, we're five on the list. Of course, I, I asked them later when the smoke cleared why we weren't one, but that's okay. <laughs> but I loved being five out of that many because they knew we were trying to get them, they were trying to get them all done. But it's you you nailed it. It's absolutely about where you stack against all the other things that he or yeah. she has to get done. Yeah, I you think know, I, a lot I, of salespeople leave that out. Johnny, I think you want to ask Michael a question. Yeah, I think the um, you guys are talking about such a great theme here. I don't think it's. Um, the conversation in 2023 is going to be if a CFO is going to be involved in your deals. I think you just assume, and we probably should always assume that there'll be financial implications and what have you. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about the how, because um, I'm a big believer and I'd like to get your guys' opinion on this is um, you go early and you get advice. You go late, and get critiqued. It's like there's a proposal on the table and I've actually gotten feedback from CFOs before and said, you've really left me no choice, but since the proposal's on the table, it's my job to scrutinize that proposal, to critique it. You come early, you get advice. You ask me about what are some things, uh, you know, how will you make decisions? We're not sure if we have a solution yet, but we're pretty sure we're going to have something that's going to come across your desk. What does it have to look like? And going with the champion, a lot of people make a, a, a decision to say, I'll go without my champion. And it totally changes the dynamic of the conversation because the feedback I've gotten from CFOs is, I need your champion who actually works in my company to hear this same advice at the same time. So Michael, could you kind of give us some feedback on those points? Are you encouraging people to go early and go with champions. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. John, it's a, it's a great point in there, especially now, but always and in the future. Uh, and, and, you know, I should make this comment. Uh, we're talking CFO and I call it the CFO factor in a, in a, in a good way, but let's be honest too. I mean, depending on the company bouncing up to the CEO depending on a size deal, bouncing into a board level. I mean, we always have to be thinking there's always a next level, right? So back to your specific question, though, 
early is crucial. You know, I, I see teams. So first of all, there, there's, I'm going to even take a step back. I think there's nothing worse in the world than um, unqualified deals where you have teams that work in earnest and they work so hard and they're doing really good work for the most part, but they never ever had a chance to win or the customer was never ever going to go move forward with this. And sometimes I watch and when I get involved, it's like you start asking those questions. And I know John does this, has always done this too. It's ask the hard questions early. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you don't want to hear a bad answer, but it's better to hear one now than later because you can recalibrate what you're doing. Or in some situations, you can pivot to other clients. That's okay. But it's going that whole pace all the way up and then not connecting that value or not understanding it and leaving your champion stranded. Your other question, that's absolutely right. Because so many times those leaders, that CFO wants to know, hey, what's the team doing here in my company? You're spot on. You're up there telling him or her they needed to have already heard it or they're going to hear it because the person's sitting next to you. So I don't think there's a more important approach, quite frankly, than get fail fast, get to the bad news faster because you can recalibrate. You always can recalibrate, but you can't when you're so deep into it and you burn so many hours of your time, your company's time, your partner's time and your customer's time because it was wasted. You just yeah. can't allow that in the state. You can qualify your champion also by asking the simple question, what is the CFO going to say about this deal? And if yeah. they say, I have no idea, you might need to go find somebody else that's going to. A new champion. <laughs> well, well, Johnny, think about it. How many times, I, just, I want our listeners to really stay in, stay in this theme right now. How many times do we have champions that say to us, hey, don't worry about that. I got that covered. Hey, don't worry about that. It's my job to, you know, talk to the CFO. Hey, don't worry about it. And I've actually over the years just kind of developed a mantra that says, hey, it's my job to worry. Like I do this for a living and I don't, it's not that I don't think that they can do it. It's not that I don't, but I just, I encourage my champions take advantage of our expertise. Like we do this every day. You don't buy this software every day. You don't buy whatever every day. We sell this every day. Here's our experience. And I think once you, because it's kind of like sometimes champions have this badge of courage and they want to prove to us that they can do it. Yeah. And I've seen sales teams just get this wrong. They're kind of like, yeah, he's our champion. She's our champion because she's really, she wants to go do this or what have you. And you're like, and when I hear these things, I'm like, why are you setting that person up like that? There's no badge of, there's no badge of honor or badge of courage for a champion to go to loan to a CFO. So I think it's a really, I think it's a really important point. If you're, if you're sitting there listening to this right now, and you are not in that conversation, or you have somebody who's telling you, don't worry, I'll get it done. When somebody says that, you should worry a little bit. Last thing I'd like to talk about this, uh, Johnny and Michael, is the language is important. We talk about being, you get delegated to those that you sound like. Michael, would you talk a little bit specifically? Johnny Mac talked about measurements and those types of things of that language. What else are you encouraging and equipping your salespeople when you get to that financial level? What other language should you be making sure that you're very, very specific with? Like your language should make it very clear that there's a reason why you're on their doorstep. Does that make sense? It it makes total sense. Would you mind if I said one thing about the previous topic that you wrapped up? There's one word that comes to mind that you said worry, you know, don't worry, we got it, the badge of honor. You should worry, your point. I use the word paranoia. The yeah. best sales teams on the planet are paranoid, like viciously paranoid. Now, I don't know if that's fun personally or in relation, but <laughs> they're paranoid. I think it's oh, so healthy. It. Our, our CEO at Elastic, Ashko Carney, he, he and I talk about being paranoid a lot with our teams, for our teams and for our customers. If you think it's going to sail through and everything's fine, be careful, be paranoid. And right now, and that CFO factor, because you said it too, 
we had a champion say to us, and this is a previous company, uh, but again, I said this, this is for all times, please trust me, the CFO yeah. does not sign off on this. Look, we, we've done this for months now, trust me. And that's not easy because you don't want to defy your champion, but you have to be paranoid and you have to, to John's point, assess that champion and then determine what to do. And sometimes that has to be an art and really thinking that piece through, but be paranoid. Sometimes I've asked the champion, you know, you might ask him about what the CFO is going to say, but you can also say, you know, this is, you might've bought stuff like this before, but just let me ask you, have you ever bought anything for a million dollars here before? Because maybe they bought something for 50,000 and it sailed through, but when it gets to a million dollars, it's getting scrutinized. So have you ever bought anything for, you know, whatever the price point is, especially if it's a high price point? It's really key. And not, and by the way, not even Johnny putting them on the spot, like, because somebody could assume maybe that, well, are you saying that I haven't bought something for a million dollars? It's just the discovery question that says, hey, walk me through the last purchase you did of this, of this magnitude or what have you. And I guarantee you, listeners, when you ask somebody to walk, especially right now, when you ask somebody to walk them through, there's going to be a financial implication. Yes. It's going to be there. And now you don't have to say, hey, it's going to be there. It's not going to be there. Like they just told you the last time they did something, the financial implication was involved. And it just, you know, there's an old saying that says, uh, you know, people rarely argue with their own conclusions. <laughs> when you when you ask them to walk walk you through a scenario and they realize that they've just, you know, they've just answered the question that the CFO was involved or the financial justification had to be put together or what have you, it just makes it a lot easier. So these are, these are really, really good tips you guys are bringing up. Well done. You know, John, I, maybe I could go back to your, the, the question then in terms of the language, when you get up there, I mean, yeah. the obvious one, but people forget it's, it needs to be in their language, in their parameters, what matters to them. If you're forcing your goals the way you read things, the way you're measured onto your customers, they don't understand it. You know, there's customers that want to help out their, you know, their vendors and their partners, but they don't live like that or understand that. And they have big challenges and that's what you have to solve. So it's really being able to not only speak their language, but then fit inside how they're measuring a solution that has the right ROI or has the right timing or all the other value components there, I think is really key. And John, you, you talked about that a little bit earlier. To me, that's so important. Understand that, doing your homework, and then being able to show them in their way exactly where the value is. And then I think you shoot up to the top of those 30 deals, right? You could certainly be one of the top ones, but it's the way that they're viewing the world and it's aligning to their priorities and the way that they look at, should we do this now? And should we do it with you? That's right. really, really important. Right. So, hey, Michael, the customer CFO is focused on ensuring uh, value, but at the same time, you know, the CFOs at your company and other tech companies are demanding an increase in productivity. So what are you hearing from, you know, some of your other CRO counterparts and about what's going on inside their companies as far as demanding, you know, higher sales productivity. Yeah. Uh, world certainly seems to have changed pretty abruptly. Yes. yes. The, that labor movement that was going on for a while has slowed. And looking at companies that may not be hiring as fast and building their sales capacity with heads as well as ramping to productivity that's changed quite a bit. I'm hearing from a lot of my, my colleagues and people saying, to your point, the CFO, the CEO, we need to double down on how do we ramp our reps faster to productivity? How do we lift productivity to the next level? You know, how to how do we build a much higher quality pipe? You know, quality is much more than quantity these days. And how do you also land business? 
that keeps on giving everybody value to the customers, but value to your company. It, you know, all deals aren't created equal, as we know. And I don't even mean just in terms of margin or size, but I mean in terms of is it setting the customer up for long-term success where you'll continue that partnership with them and increase your business over time and build incremental on top of that, increase your relevance, all that. So to me, those are all the different aspects there. Yeah. And what do you think you and other sales leaders have to do in response to, you know, you know, onboarding people the right way, training them the right way, making sure territories align the right way. You know, I mean, it's a whole bunch of things, especially when you understand like, hey, my productivity's flat or it's going down a little bit. There's a whole bunch of questions that come up as to what I need to do to, to change that. You know, you're some of the things you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting, still ensuring you don't settle and you bring in a players. So it all starts there. It all starts there. And then being able to help them be successful. I know that's obvious, but everything from the territory they're going in, is it a warm territory? Is it a cold territory? Did you have the right profile of person you hired for that territory? Then how robust is your enablement? Sales enablement is crucial. Now, look, if you're hiring people that should have never been hired, you can enable all day long. And unfortunately, you're wasting everybody's time. Right. But hiring the right people in the right territories or for the right leadership role, whichever, and then making sure that you're surrounding them to make them be successful and you're building that up. And then you accelerate ramp through a lot of those things. It's crucial. It really is. And I, I see a difference between companies that get it and companies that don't. It's it's very clear and it's very hard to overcome that when it's embedded because when you hire the wrong people, especially at a leadership role, they're probably hiring the wrong people. And right. then you're trying to ramp up your enablement and that's not going well. And it's it can be a slippery slope. So I talk to a lot of my colleagues who are CSOs, CROs, and the focus right now is absolutely about hey, somehow shake some people, maybe from other companies that are phenomenal, or there are people in the market, make sure they're the right fit, they're the right uh, profile, bring them on with the right attitude and get them into the right territories and then help them be successful. That's part of your job as a leader. You need to spend time and help your teams truly be successful. It's your job. It's the most important thing that you do. Right. No, I used to say to people, like, if you want to get this is a growth company, if you want to get promoted, you have to prove that you've been able to recruit someone and train them and develop them to take your spot. And if you can't prove that you can that they're prepared to take your spot, why would I promote you? <laughs> what, what are you going to do at the next level? Right. So you can hold people accountable that way. And, and it changed, then it changes, like you were saying, their focus on who they're going to recruit and how they're going to develop those people. It really changes their filter. But Michael, this is, yes. you're, you're going on like, so you did Hitachi, Cohesity, Elastic. And each time you had to take over, like any sales leader, whether no matter what level you're at, you're at the CRO or CSO level, you inherit a bunch of issues. Talk a little bit about how a new CRO or for that matter, any new sales leader, you know, they're going to inherit challenges and how do they prioritize of all these issues that they see, you know, what is it that I need to change and change first, second, third, fourth? It's so funny that you, you say it the way you say it, because um, years back I, I was, um, I was in a meeting, in, in a Zoom meeting, and my my wife walked by, and we were getting some heavy stuff we had to do. And after the meeting closed, I walked uh, downstairs. I was in home office at the time. My wife goes, everywhere you go, like, there's these problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I have a job. That's exactly what I said. I go, Jen, my wife's name is Jen. I said, Jen, no one's hiring me and putting me in a well-oiled machine. They know what I do, what I've been training to do, and it's not, here, just keep this going nicely. Everything's good. And by the way, don't get me wrong. I don't mean the companies work for had massive problems. I mean, they had massive opportunities. We were looking at where we wanted to take the business, and that's where the complexity comes in and where there are challenges. Kind of a what got us here won't get us there in a lot of ways. So, look, first of all, it's the most fun I've ever had. 
going into those situations because the first thing you do, and it's just the best thing ever is you, it's the people piece first. It's you discover gems. You discover some of the most incredibly wonderful and talented and driven and accomplished people you've ever met. And the first thing you do is you put your arm around them. You help understand, you learn and you understand what else do they need to be successful. You make sure that they're happy. You make sure that they're in the right roles with the right opportunity around them. And then you stay close to them for sure. And you work with their leaders as well. So that's key. Then, then look, then you have other talent that sometimes are in their own jobs and you need to recalibrate that. And then, you know, you also have to make some tough decisions, right? And again, it's, there's people that got the company where you are there then, but where you're going, it might not be the case. So that's a piece of it. But but even more broadly than I think, does this go to market? Does this sales organization, does this company have good bones? And when I mean good bones, I certainly mean leadership, executive team, these gems I'm talking about that quite frankly drive the business. Um, first line management to me is the most important job in any company. These are truly toughest job there is toughest job, most crucial job. These are the leaders who are driving your business. And I move there very quickly when I come into a situation. And again, see, do we have good bones? Do we have good leaders? Do they have good leaders above them? Second one is the operating model. I always look at how is it running? How is this operating going? Are there the right sales disciplines? Are there the right cadence? All the different aspects of how you run a sales organization or a go-to-market, is that there? Um, and of course, what's the customer base like? Where are you good? Where are you not good? What are your customers saying? What are they telling you that you're really good at? What are they telling you that your, your competition's smoking you on? Really important. Partners are another one. And by the way, I know these are basics. Maybe I should have started by saying you go to the basics, right? How are yeah. the bones? You yeah. have to. People get wrapped up into the strategy right away and start building this blue. You need to move very rapidly to understand what the bones are like in that go-to-market and then determining what you're going to do shorter term and longer term. Oh, and by the way, of course, you're doing all this by making your number for the quarter, right? It's that <laughs> right. You're changing the engine on that plane as it's, you know, 35,000 feet. But that's the fun of it. And you got to do it. It actually helps drive you. But you have to balance those short-term decisions with longer term to make sure you're making your numbers and your teams are successful, but also building out that future. And that's, you know, that's the fun part. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's all the basics and fundamentals. I think um, Cap knows I'm what he might call a fundamentalist. So like you said, it's all about the people and the processes, you know? So how are you hiring people? How are you onboarding people? How are you training people? How are you ramping people? How are you training your leaders? What's the sales process? What's the qualification methodology? What's the forecast process? All those types of things. And if you can't get those things right and get them running, you know, basically getting all the trains running on time, you probably you don't need to, like you said, go to the higher levels and you know map out some some big strategy because it's never going to work anyway. Absolutely. You know what I love? I love talking to customers about how we're showing up. How is the team showing up? How's the company showing up? Are we different than our direct competitors? I, I don't, by the way, I, I don't obsess on our competitors. I obsess on our customers and our teams and our partners. It is interesting to hear how customers show you showing up, how, how tell you how you're showing up. It's really important. People forget that too. You know, the other one, John's, I would say is the enablement component, making sure you have an engine there that when you're bringing new people on or making changes or shifting people to new roles, do you have the capability to truly get the teams where they need to be? That's that's big. And then, you know, you mentioned the other one. It's it's so crucial. And that's, is everyone speaking the same language? How can you truly measure a pipeline or a deal review or understanding a forecast? Is it is it right? 
Is it going to be what happens? Is it truly predictable? If you're not speaking that same language and, you know, fundamentally we, we work with MedPick in all the different companies, bringing those fundamentals in and then building different things on top of that, whether it's value selling or challenger, but it's, it's all about having that common language because then you're able to do compares. You know, it used to always drive me nuts when customers were not comparing apples to apples and you'd go into situations and you need to do that in your sales organization too. Make sure that the way you're looking at everything is set up with fundamentals that are consistent. And that's what I think the methodologies bring to the table. Yeah, that goes back to your, um, just one second, Johnny. Yeah, That goes back to your internal CFO factor um, where, especially in these uncertain times, I've always found that you want to constantly train your sales force to make them more productive while other companies are even cutting costs. Because I think that the training has a huge leverage. You know, you have a couple trainers, bring everyone in and you train the entire sales force and then they're more prepared, you know, when they are out uh, in these uncertain times to go and get deals. Um, That's a huge lever that I think a lot of people think it's just a wasted expense. And they, they, I I just, I disagree with that. I do too. I do. I think there's, there's two awesome uh, things that you've highlighted, Michael and John. Um, One, I want to go back to the, how we show up. And it was your answer to John's question of, you know, when you make changes, when you go from one organization to another organization, Michael, you talked about, you know, understanding how we show up in front of a customer. I want to highlight something that I just want our listeners to really uh, tune into, especially right now. Um, I, I, I think one of the best things that you can do is that regardless, if you're showing up as a new leader and you want to understand what is our position in the marketplace, how do we position ourselves in front of these customers or what have you, or you're a new rep, and you're, um, you're new to that company, you can ask this same question. I'm very, very fond of this questioning methodology, asking a customer, where are we better than we actually think we are? So where are we better than we think we're? It's an easy way for a customer to kind of jump into a, a good conversation, but then follow up with, because what you really want to understand is where are we not as good as we think we are. And I've gotten some great feedback from customers. Um, It's just, I think if you do that and you speak from the heart, you're going to get really, really good feedback. So Michael, I just wanted to add that to what you were saying is understanding how we show up. I also want to make a comment about this point that you guys were talking about as the first line sales manager. First line sales managers are always under pressure. And they get under more pressure during economic times. They get under more pressure when we ask companies or asking sales organizations to do more with less people or what have you to up the productivity. Um, And I would like your feedback, both of you, I would like your feedback, uh, Michael, starting with you. There's there was an old commercial that I loved. It's like, I can't remember what product it was, but do you remember it says, give it to Mikey. He'll, Mikey, Mikey will eat it. He'll eat anything. Mikey likes it. it was a cereal. Mikey likes Mikey it. Likes okay. It. All right. So I think about that when I think about first line sales managers, because they are actually, when you look at most of the initiatives inside companies, they have to go through, successfully go through that needle, the eye of the needle, the first line sales manager. Michael, what are some things that you do to protect them? Like I've, we've heard some real good things from, from guests before and they think about protecting the frontline sales manager from, oh, I don't want to say abuse because that's too strong, but, but protecting that eye of the needle. And then Johnny, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it too. So what do you do to protect that frontline sales manager knowing that they're the landing spot of every initiative, every change that we're trying to get, it always has to go through the frontline manager. What are your thoughts on that? Buy him a beer at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it's, you could say, put a coin in in their back as if they were coined. (laughs) Exactly. Put your arm around them. 
buy them a beer. And that I, that actually is serious. Spend time with them for sure. Um, you know, I talked about the road trip. I road trips I've been doing. I mean, that is all a lot about really getting out there. I say customers, partners, everything else, but it's it's about spending time with the folks that are on the front lines doing it every day. And to your point, are really under huge pressure, regardless of the environment, right? Uh, but what I think the answer is, um, I hope this doesn't come across wrong, but it's help them be successful, durability, help them really be able to hire right, enable right, train, help them with that operating model. You know, I... In one of the other companies I worked for, we built a, a, a field leadership system. And it was all about how do we surround the district manager, that first line manager with capability. And it was all about everything from how we instrument the business at that first line level. So that district, how we build an operating model with disciplines and cadence and methodology it was also about enablement, sales enablement for them and the things they can do and all that capability. And then it was about just common leadership capabilities, whether it's around communication or technology to allow them to do better. So it's surrounding them with capability. It's showing them love. It's listening to them. It's another really big one. And then being able to support them because at the end of the day, the people that are making it all happen and they're telling you certain things are happening in the market or they need certain things. Well, guess what? You go up to your CFO and help them get things to support these folks. Because at the end of the day, I think the best word is durability in your first line management team. I think that's crucial. Yeah. Johnny, for me, um, you know, if you look at any of us as sales leaders or sales reps, we have, I say we have 62 days in the quarter, right? When you subtract out the weekends and a couple of days for holidays. Yeah. Then if you take just an organization that has first line, second line, and then like some VPs, and then let's say, you know, you know, a CRO. I've always found that the second line managers are what I call the Teflon manager. Because if you miss the quarter or anything bad happens, like in this case, Michael's going to catch a bunch of grief. The first line manager is going to catch a ton of grief. And maybe and the VPs will take a little bit, but that second line manager, man, I am looking good. <laughs> they just don't get any grief. So that first line manager can't be expected in my book in 62 days to turn a bigger number. You know, go on deals, qualify deals, forecast deals, train people, develop people, and recruit. Yeah. Wow. While the second line managers and VPs just sit there. So I think I've always held the second line manager accountable to develop people assessment and people development for those first line managers, the people that report to the first line managers, because let's face it, some of these first line managers were, were reps six months ago. They don't really know how to assess the skills and the knowledge and the strengths and the weaknesses of all those reps. So, but the second line manager definitely should be able to do that by then. And then also, if they are able to assess and understand the strengths and weaknesses, now they should help that manager train those, de develop those people. Every Monday, we're going to talk about qualifying a deal. You know, on every Friday, we're going to talk about how you forecast deals or how you, uh, to Michael's fact, you know, let's do the CFO factor. But they should basically help get the material together and help help that first line manager train those people also. And then you leave the first line manager to do what they do best, going out on sales calls with their sales reps and helping them close deals. But you got to hold that second line manager accountable. I, find I like that. Most organizations, they're just not held accountable. I like that. And I think so, the way so that So one gets other thing. So what they do yeah. is they wind up asking the reps the same questions that Michael's asking and the same questions that the VP's asking, the same questions that the first line manager's asking, because they're not held accountable to anything else except the quarter. 
So you got to hold them accountable to something else other than the number. I like that. I think it's, I'm bringing both your answers together here. And Michael, you called it a field leadership system. And the way I heard you say it, it's, it's for me, it's like a management operating rhythm. Yes. And when, and then thinking about what Johnny just said, when in, in this is, I think companies really have an area of opportunity to do this, to do this better. When you just look at the amount of time and you start to map it out, who's responsible for what, when are you doing it? How are you measuring it? And if you can't put a management operating rhythm for your whole organization on one page, if you can't do that, you're not going to be successful. It's got to be simple. It's got to be repeatable. It's got to be very specific to who's doing what, when. And I think, Johnny, just like you said, it's like, who am I holding accountable for what? And what's the rhythm around that? And if left up to its own devices, you have some frontline managers that are better recruiters and they don't, you know, they're missing their number. They're trying to recruit. They, you know, some are great at doing the number, but they're not very good at the people part. And bringing in an operating rhythm that's very specific on who's, it doesn't mean you don't have to be good at all of it, but it's who's focusing on what, who, who kind of owns what. It shows up in Michael, I'm sure your field leadership system and what we've also known as management operating rhythm. That was a really, really good discussion. I think that's helpful. Well, you can also do it just in a QBR. You know, when you're talking about people, you can have the second line managers, you know, talk about the first line managers, people, you know, what do they think? Tell me what you think Sally or Joe or Sue's, you know, strengths and weaknesses are, and what are you doing to develop them? And if you're asking those questions and they can't answer them, they're not really spending their time with those people. It's very telling. Yeah. Could I uh, just say um, to those points, it's interesting because what we had developed in, in, in a past company was with that field leadership system, it literally was a one pager on where as a first line manager, you should spend your time, right. you know, whether it was hiring or pipeline management, building strategy, customer, all that. And it wasn't, so pres- prescriptive, you had robots, but it kind of broke it up into four or five areas that you should focus on your time. And, and here's an important part, part inside there. One thing I've noticed over the years is leaders that are engaged with their teams, they love to be involved when the deal's about to happen, right? They want to go in there and close that deal and get it done. And like it's like the glory time. Yes. And, what we had in our system and very specific was if you should be spending from a deal standpoint, spend the time early stage, spend it during the development time. Cause as, as the leader, you could have more impact there. The truth is you want your team's closing deals. Don't get me wrong. Big deals at the end of the day, you got to go up and sometimes you get to that, but you know what I'm saying? If more teams and more managers spent time at the beginning of that sales cycle where things were just really getting developed. I think it's game changing and I've seen it work. And that was part of this whole, you know, approach of where you spend your time. Michael, I agree a hundred percent, you know, and, and also is based upon the strengths and weaknesses of, of your reps. If Sally's going to close a million dollar deal, but Sally's closed 21 million, 21 million dollar deals. You don't necessarily have to go with Sally, especially if Joe is having his first economic buyer meeting ever, you know, you should be going with Joe, but most people, like you said, they want to say that they went in the woods, they shot the bear, they carried it back on their backs. Look at me, you know, and they got to, yeah, exactly. They got to separate their ego from the development of their people. They have to be selfless instead of selfish. So yeah, it's an excellent point. I agree. Johnny, that point you're making right there, I just, I'll just give a, a plug for your outstanding book called The Qualified Sales Leader. What I loved about what you did in that book, John, is that you gave those different scenarios. You you gave you gave stories about the Sallys and the Joes and the Tims and the Susans, and they were all at different stages. They all had different capabilities. If you haven't read that book, if you're listening and you haven't read that book and you're 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 interested in what we're talking about in this segment here. I think that that's a really, really good read for you. So I, I, I 
there's more of that. There's a lot more of that in that book. So it's called The Qualified Sales Leader by our one and only John McMahon. Yeah. You guys don't even know I did this, but I'm sold. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Come on. You don't even know it. And the reason is I, I do keep this in my desk, but also uh, at the last two companies, every one of my leaders have received it. And I go places around the world and it's amazing how people pull it out of their desk or out of their bag, even in like yeah. an airport. And they're like, hey, Kremen, can we talk about this one thing or this or that? Or what do you think John thinks about this? It's, I love it. I mean, it just, there's so much value in there. And I'm not just saying it. Thank John's you guys, involved. really appreciate it. <laughs> but Michael, let, let's talk about you some more. Let's go to recruiting now, right? So we just, there was a war on talent. It seems like the war might be calming down a little bit with some of these layoffs. But how do you, because you said earlier that recruiting's, you know, number one. So how do you make sure that your talent process is differentiated? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great question. So first of all, yes, it's one of the most one of the most important things, if not the most important thing that that leaders do. We we know that. The other thing is, and I'm just going to say some basics here, so people at least know what I think is. It never ends. Like it never ever ends. I also think it's maybe the most fun thing we do. I actually look. I love I love closing deals, and that's fun and hitting numbers. That's all fun landing an incredible talent that you know is going to be incredibly successful at your company, on your team, there's nothing better, nothing better. So back to your question. Um, Fundamentals, I think, are the answer. Fundamentals inside your company first in terms of the process that's created, the folks you have helping doing the recruiting and involved, always bringing together say internal or external recruiting with your leaders and an understanding. And then again, like when I say fundamentals, basics, you know, what are the specific competencies that you truly are searching for that are really, really important? You know, I always, I always tell people recruiters don't hire leaders do you're hiring recruiters recruit and they recruit based on what you tell them and how you work together. And that's absolutely key. But then the biggest thing, and I think this is the main answer to your your question, John, is helping whoever is interfacing with the candidates truly understand the opportunity at hand. That Again, that may seem very basic, but that is so important. I've known of big jobs, important jobs in companies that didn't land well with candidates because they didn't really take the time to see how they're showing up in front of the candidates. To me, that's the most important thing. And people don't spend enough time doing that. I think you're so right. I've seen that before in other companies where I, you know, changed jobs and was, you know, you know, now, you know, assuming all the challenges like we talked about earlier. And I found out that the people knew how to recruit, but they didn't know how to sell the opportunity. Yeah. So right, Michael. You know, a great exercise to do right now, if you're hiring, a great exercise to do is like, so so I'm hiring for force management for me to sit with myself and say, why force management go and put myself on the spot or do it with another colleague and say, go. And then just listen to how you're speaking about the company. And people are so ill-prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then sometimes let's say they do it. They get the points, the data points, right? They talk about the opportunity. They talk about the addressable market. They talk about the differentiation, but there's no emotion in there. And I say to people, if you're not excited about the opportunity, why should I be? So if you're recruiting right now, you should just look in the mirror and actually look in the mirror and say, why my company? And then say, go, and then watch yourself in the mirror. And I think it's a great exercise. And you're going to, man, I'm telling you, like, the people that do that really, really well coming up on 2023 are going to be the ones that get the A players because the A players are going to need to understand. They don't, people are not joining companies for, for the most part, they're joining people. And if you don't, if you leave that part out of it, if you leave you and your personality and your, your emotion about the opportunity out of it, you're going to, you might miss an opportunity to, to get one of these A players. You guys agree with that? 
Yeah, it's like Michael said. Well, you're you're you sh- it's a you can't turn recruiting on and off like a faucet. It has to be yeah. something that you're doing all the time. And um, you know, like your rule of three, maybe you should tell Michael your rule of three as to why you really need to always do it. Well, yeah, I mean, the rule of three, I think, is it's it's as old as dirt. Michael, you probably have a similar saying for it, but you know, I I ask people like, well are you recruiting? They're like, Oh, I don't have an opening. And I'm like, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> are you recruiting? And then I, t- I share with them the rule of three, like the most elite people organizations on the planet I've ever been associated with. Somebody's going to get promoted. Somebody is going to get demoted or moved out of the business. Uh, and I'm not saying that in an evil way. It's just, you're going to top grade or what have you. And then, the third one is somebody's going to surprise you. Just life is going to come up for people and they're going to surprise you, which means you have three openings at all times. So and, um, and I, you know, I kind of learned that the hard way back in the day. And, and so I've always thought about the, the rule of three is really, really important. I love it. I love it. I, um, I couldn't agree more. And even going back to what you said previously, I completely agree the data is the first piece, right? Yeah. Really laying out the data for them. So it's the what, but then it's the how. I mean, I, I say to people, and I only want people to come in. There could be the best sales rep in the world, but if I don't think that person's going to do well in the company I'm in or the situation or even just that job, I'm not going to go. I will go near that person for the future because I'm always recruiting, but I'm not going to force that. But what I always say is, get me in front of him or her, just get me in front of the person. Because one, I love telling the story Two, I believe in this. And three, you never know down the road. And again, I just love being able to offer opportunities to people that are in the marketplace because it's it. And by the way, that passion, it's the belief. When I, when when I've been recruited over the years, you know, looking at that person, the, the hiring leader and saying, does this person truly believe in this opportunity and yeah. this company? That's the deciding factor. It's belief. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Uh, yeah. You want to do a little rapid yeah. fire? Yeah. Let's do a little rapid fire, Michael. Oh. If you're up for it, we uh we like to ask these uh just kind of get to know you better questions. Sure. Uh, sure. so let's start. What's an ideal day off work for you? An ideal day. You're going to say travel? You're going to say no, travel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, coming home to his own coming house. Home, yeah. Yes, That's right. exactly. Being at home. Yeah, I, I would say, um, I, I'd say, you know, being a, being able to hit the gym in, in an early morning, because when you're traveling so much, that can be harder, right? And then for me, it's, it's, it's family, obviously. And it's, um, we're beach people. Uh, when we do go on vacations uh, as a family, we love it. it's it's almost always uh, some part of the world with amazing beaches. And, you know, we live down the Jersey Shore, which gets a pretty bad rap, but we're two blocks from the beach and, you know, we ride our bikes and that that's it for me. Family, beach and um, and trying to keep in a little bit of shape with all this traveling and bad eating. Yeah, well, let's really talk about the eating in Europe, especially in Europe, because they don't yeah. have a ton of gyms. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about the eating a little bit. What's a what's a favorite meal for you? <laughs> I, I don't think I've met a meal I haven't liked personally, but uh, maybe I'll mix it with what I also like to do. I, I I love grilling. I love grilling. And my my son, when he's home from school, he goes to a uh, Maris College up in Hudson River Valley, and when he comes home, uh, grilling a nice ribeye steak for him and I that's that's it for us. Um, nothing better than then steak and a grill and just chilling out. Love it. Love it. How about a favorite movie? Favorite movie. Well, I'm probably going to date myself and it's probably crazy, but I, I, I love the original wall street. I'm sorry. I, oh. I love wall street. That's my movie. I, I still <laughs> love it. Michael Douglas was he, was it Michael Douglas in the original Gordon gecko? Exactly. Gordon gecko. That's right. <laughs> That's right. How about the best concert you've ever been to? Oh, all right. Uh, I have been to some really cool concerts. I'll blend this one a little bit, too. The best <laughs> one I've ever been to was <clears throat> a private concert at one of our clubs at one of the companies I worked for with Maroon 5. Oh, yeah. And I was running global sales and it was 
I was responsible for the, it was for a club trip. Um, I did almost get fired by, by hiring them, but we landed them and they joined and walking around that concert, looking at the excitement in all of our teams and our leaders and their spouses. And cool. there was probably nothing more rewarding. They were just elated having the time of their lives. It was our top performers, of course. It was a highlight for me and certainly the best concert. So personally, and from a business standpoint, it was. Why did you almost get fired? Yeah, they, they, this was during when they were the hottest band on the planet and it, they cost a bit of money. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say that. Yeah. And someone told me we couldn't land them. I'm like, now we're going to. (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate challenge. How about, um, how about a favorite charity? Look, um, for for me and for my family, St. Jude every year, uh, it just makes such a big difference and it's so important. So for us, that's that that's a favorite charity. Very, very easy to give and um, for such a good cause. And so I know a lot of people know St. Jude. It's it's an important one for us as a family. That's a that's a, a great one. It's been around forever and. Uh... I agree with you. So we'll, we'll obviously, I think people know that one, but we'll put a link to uh, St. Jude and the, in the show notes, I'm going to let Johnny wrap up and say uh, goodbyes to you, but Michael, what a great pleasure. Uh, We covered some unbelievably relevant topics right now and timely topics. Thank you for, I know we've been trying to get you for a while. Your travel schedule has been crazy but thank you for carving out time and uh you just hit a home run we appreciate you tons oh please thank you so much don it's a real pleasure i really enjoyed this thank you yeah michael thank you so much crazy travel schedule i can't say that uh i haven't done the same thing (laughs) but you know at least when i came home i didn't come home to COVID and have to stay in a hotel you know 20 miles away so with your busy schedule and everything and you, you know, everything that's going on at Alaska. In fact, by the way, you know, great numbers. Um, Congratulations. And thanks again for spending time with us and thank all our listeners for listening to another episode of Revenue Builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 